Grace and peace to you, Christ Church. Kiddos, I have your joke for you. It's a Mother's Day joke. You ready? You have to use your brain a little bit. You might need one of your guys' help. I think you might have the answer. You ready? No pressure, though. No pressure. All right. Why is a computer so smart? Do you know? It listens to its motherboard. That's right, it does. That's right. All right, you go off to Children's Church. Have fun with Pastor Amy. We love you. I like that joke. That's a good joke. Well, we're going to continue to seek after the source today, desiring to stay connected to Jesus. So if you would turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 17. Well, today is Mother's Day, a very special day indeed, but it is also a holy day and one that we don't uh, usually talk about in great great depth. It is Ascension Sunday. It is the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus leaving this current reality earth and ascending to the Father in the realm of the kingdom until the day of his return. Now, I am quite certain the disciples at the time did not think this was cause for celebration, right? having Jesus being taken from their midst. But had they known the gift that was to come, they would have been celebrating, right? Next week, we will be celebrating that gift uh, as we celebrate Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, last week, as we were reading through chapter 15, we we were given that gracious invitation to make ourselves at home in the love of God. And you'll remember that truly, truly, Making yourselves at home isn't about putting your feet up and enjoying cold beverages while the host bustles around doing all the work. Making yourself at home is to join in the task at hand, to be a part of the family mission, right? Now, I don't know if you've seen this online, but uh, creating like a family mission statement is kind of a thing these days. I don't know if you've seen that. There are some kind of silly ones like the Disney one. I've mentioned this before, and I always, always think of Tony Brago, always, because it says we in this family, we let it go because the bare necessities will lead us to infinity and beyond. And with a little bit of faith, trust and pixie dust, we do Disney. You get it, right? Okay. So not in terribly like spiritually profound, but fun, right? And then there are some more serious ones that say things like, in our family, we do real. We do mistakes. We do I'm sorry. We do second chances. We do fun. We do hugs. We do forgiveness. We do really loud. We do family. We do love. Now, in spite of the very questionable grammatical structure of this particular family mission statement, we get it, right? To make yourself at home in this family is to embody these values, to live into this mission of doing these things to the end that they become the kind of people, the kind of family they feel called to be, right? And just for the record, my family growing up, we definitely did loud very, very well, much to Tommy's chagrin. Now, making yourselves at home in God's love and in God's family is also an invitation to join the family mission too, right? The mission of the family of God. And it's simple. It's just as Jesus, so to us. Pretty straightforward, right? It says, just as the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. And just as Jesus has obeyed the Father and abided in his love, so too we obey the Father and abide in his love. Now, just as Jesus has loved us and given his life for us, so too we love others and give our lives for them. And just as the Father chose Jesus and sent him on his mission, so too we are chosen and appointed to fulfill our mission of bearing fruit in the world. So our mission is to follow that pattern. Just as Jesus, 
so to us. But as I said last week, this is not a call to work ourselves up into like a spiritual tizzy, trying to conjure up lovey-dovey feelings in our hearts. God is the source, right? He is the source of that agape love, that conscious, intentional, selfless, self-giving love. And as we abide in Jesus, who remember, has already decided he wants to abide in us, we have direct access to that unending, overflowing source of love. There was the chocolate fountain last week, remember? Anybody go to Albertsons yesterday? They had chocolate fountains in the lobby. It was great. I was like, oh, God's love all over the place. It's great. Now, today's text takes a bit of a turn. Now, uh, not in content, really, but in method. See, up to this point, Jesus' teaching um, has been exactly that. He has been teaching, kind of like a Sunday school lesson or, uh, or like a little stroll. After the, after the Last Supper, they were strolling together to the garden, and Jesus was teaching them along the way. But chapter 17 takes on a whole different format. This is a prayer between Jesus and the Father. Now, here's a question for you. Have you ever been around a really loud talker? Like someone who is so obnoxiously loud, it is pretty clear that A, they have minimal social skills and they don't realize how inappropriate they are. Or B, they are genuinely hard of hearing, so you got to cut them some slack. Or three, they are tactlessly trying to communicate a message to someone in their vicinity without directly addressing them. Case in point, I was on an airplane recently and someone thought it was a brilliant idea to bring on to the plane, small, contained, airless space, a giant tub of cold chicken salad, right? And someone who was definitely not me said very loudly, what is that smell? <laughs> Knowing full well it was the lady in 16C, right? It is this subtle form of social shaming that we try to get them to act the way they should, right? Because chicken salad on an airplane, an airplane close, no, that is against all flight etiquette. Let it be known, okay? But sometimes, so that's social shaming, right? But sometimes you want to be overheard because you have a desire to be helpful, right? Maybe they don't know. Now, the other day I was, and this is not a made-up story for the sermon. This actually happened in my life. I was in line at Walmart here in Mountain Home, and I was buying like a bunch of meat. I don't know why I was buying so much meat for dinner, I guess. I don't know. And this guy behind me comes up with his wife, and he looks at all my stuff, which I think kind of rude, but whatever. He looks at all my groceries, and he says, to his wife, man, I would never buy meat at Walmart. It is so overpriced. If only everyone knew about the amazing prices at Cash and Carry. His wife was mortified. She was like, dude, shut up. And I'm just like, I'm ignoring him. And he goes, what? I just think people should know about the prices at Cash and Carry, located at 1700 West Shoreline Drive in Boise, Boise, Idaho. Now, there were so many witty statements that I had on the tip of my tongue, as you can imagine. But I am a Christian, and so I chose to ignore him and his cash and carry evangelism. And so in this chapter, Jesus is praying between him and the Father, right? But here's the thing. He is with his disciples, and he is praying this prayer out loud, he very, very much wants them to hear everything he is saying to the Father, every word. 
Because in this prayer, he is going to revisit the purpose of his incarnation, his time on earth and the flesh. He's going to remind God, as if God needed reminding, of all that he has done. He is going to speak aloud words of encouragement and comfort. Again, not because the Father needs it, because the listeners do. And so he will ultimately articulate the challenge for us Jesus followers after his departure. So this prayer, while it is between Jesus and the Father, is definitely meant to be overheard and heeded. So let's read it together, shall we? Chapter 17, verse 6, starting verse 6, says this. Jesus is talking to the Father. I have made your name known to those who you gave me from the world. They are yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those who you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they don't belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They don't belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. Sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now when I read this text, my brain just kind of goes, because there is so much going on in a mere 13 verses. So go ahead and pull out your snacks. We're going to go through it verse by verse. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But truly, when you read a text as dense as this one, it's easy to get overwhelmed by all that's going on in this passage. You see, in this next chapter, Jesus is going to get arrested. They're going to have the trial. He's going to get crucified. And before you know it, we're standing in front of a tomb. And so this is the last hurrah for Jesus's teaching moments. And he's not going to waste it. He is cramming it full. Now, if you were to read through this passage with a colored marker or pencil and circle all the repeated words and themes, you would see a lot of repetition, but perhaps no other theme or word would stand out quite as clearly as the word world. Now, it's in there 14 times in 13 verses. That's impressive. And if you are fluent in Christianese, you know very well what that particular word carries with it some very specific connotations, a whole kind of suitcase of implications when we say the word, the world. Now, you know what I mean when I say Christianese, don't you? Like those specific phrases that people in the church use, that everybody outside the church is like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? And I definitely know there is not, the church is not the only group that does this. The Air Force does this. Oh my word. I am forever riding the struggle bus, trying to figure out what y'all are talking about. 
because there's so many acronyms, stuff like that. So you know how it is. Now, if you grew up in the church, you know there are specific phrases that we use. Tommy's favorite, the hedge of protection, right? When your favorite people, not a brick wall, not like an impenetrable boundary, a hedge, okay? That's Tommy's favorite Christian phrase. How about this one? When you were in the youth group growing up, missionary dating. Anybody know what that is? That's when you, a Christian, date a non-Christian boy, but with the intention of bringing them to Jesus. <laughs> right? Daddies don't like missionary dating. Mine sure didn't. But when it comes to the word the world, for us in church, that is shorthand for those people out there doing bad stuff. Right? Right? There was a clear separation between us, the insiders, and the world. Now, Tommy, who gets on these random, like, kicks sometimes, these brief periods of deep interest into random subjects, he was really into studying the Amish for a while. And they really embody this idea of separation, right? They have their group, and everybody else is other, okay? But they don't call it the world. Do you know what they call the outsiders? The English, right? It's so weird because they're not actually English, but it has some historical roots and whatever, but it's this idea of we are the insiders and that is the other, the English or the world, right? It's a very much an us-them mindset. And usually when we say the world, we mean evil, right? Particularly with texts like John 17 and James 127, where it emphasizes keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, and there have been times when we have responded to this call uh, to not be polluted or corrupted by the world uh, by kind of withdrawing into an enclave of sorts, like bad out, good in. It's kind of like the bubble wrap option, I like to call it, right? No secular music, no movies, no whatever. You know, my parents didn't take this particular route, but some parents do. And I know that that response is the deepest expression of love couched in fear, right? Now, the longer I am a parent, you got to hear this, the longer I am a parent, the more I get it. You see, this fall, JoJo is going to public school for the first time. And up to that point, she has been very secure in her little bubble of children's church and Montessori school. And next year, she will be in with kids of all backgrounds and life experiences. And I have already been wrestling with this fear that my daughter will be cut by the sharp edges of children with broken lives. And so I get the bubble wrap option, this desire to be separate from the world because there's fear. And it it tempts me to to pull back into another churchy word, the holy huddle, right? You know that word. But what does John, the guy writing this gospel that we're reading today, what does he say about the world and how we're supposed to interact with it? How does he actually use that phrase in this book? Well, a lot of times, especially in the beginning of the Gospel of John, he talks about the word world in very neutral terms, like God made the world, creation. But as he progresses through the book and he continues to use the word world, we begin to realize that he is using it as shorthand to describe rebellious human beings rejecting God, okay? In chapter 3, for example, we were told that light came into a dark world, dark because of sin, but the world loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And in chapter 7, Jesus confirms that the world hates him because their deeds are evil, right? And as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh yeah, the world is so bad. It is so bad bubble wrap, right? 
And then the Spirit comes to me ever so gently and says, remember, that was you too. I am not different or above the world. I'm just rescued, right? And it takes that self-righteous rug right out from under you. So, no question, the world language that John is using to describe humankind is humankind separated and rebelling against God. Now, again, in John, how does God feel about that sinful, rebellious, hateful, selfish world? Here's a hint. You see it? John 3.16. For God so loved that hateful, sinful, selfish world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Love, in spite of rebellion, the clinging to the darkness and the hateful rejection, God loves the world and he gives absolutely everything to bring that broken, sinful world back to himself. And so in this prayer, Jesus is naming everything rightly. He's saying, Father, you are the source of it all. I, Jesus, am the obedient servant, and I fulfilled your mission of loving this world and giving myself for, uh, for its sake. And these disciples who are listening to my prayer right now, these disciples, they belong to you. And you want to send them out into the world, into that rebellious, sinful place where folks are rejecting you and are engulfed in the ways of evil. Jesus is naming us all rightly. No hiding, no pretending. And then Jesus goes on to kind of recap his mission, reminding the Father, hey, hey, Father, you remember, you sent me to do this. You sent me here as the lamb of the world given for the sins of the world. You sent me as bread to heaven to feed a starving, malnourished world. You sent me as living water to quench the thirsty parched souls of sinners. You sent me as the light of the world to illuminate this path for those who are stumbling and bumbling into walls trying to find a way to life. You sent me as the shepherd to seek and to save the lost. You sent me as the vine to empower and nourish and replenish your children that they too might bear fruit and fulfill their vocation. And the thing that we can never forget, guys, that we can never forget about Jesus' mission is that it's not just the what he did, it's the how he did it. Jesus set out to show us who God is doing all this stuff, being the shepherd, you know, bread from heaven, breaking the fish, breaking the loaves, and healing people and raising people from the dead. And that revealed God to us, all the things that he did. But it was also the how. Because how Jesus taught and how Jesus lived and operated completely rejected the world's model of power and manipulation and deceit and guilt. He refused to be the Messiah they demanded so he could be the Messiah that they needed. To truly reflect the character of that radically loving God. You see, Jesus was surrounded by this power-hungry Roman Empire and this this self-focused, hard-hearted culture of the Jewish leadership, but yet he chose a different way, a new reality, the kingdom of God way in which God himself comes down to a rebellious, selfish world and breaks himself open for its sake. It's not just the what he did, it's how he did it. And so in verse 15, 
Jesus passes this on to us, not just the what, but the how. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. They don't belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. So sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. There it is. Just as, so too. Just as Jesus, so to us. Just as I, Jesus, have been sent into the world to embody God to the sinful, broken place, so to you, I, we are sent out as disciples into the world to embody God to a sinful, broken people. Just as I, Jesus, refused to play by the world's rules of power and manipulation and violence, so too you are called to be humble and gentle, to be patient, persevering in affliction, salt and light, bearing nourishing fruit in vulnerability, instead of playing those power games around you. So just as I, Jesus, came into the world and I lived here and I ate here and I went to dinner parties and I made friends and I went to the market and I went to the synagogue, so too you are to be fully here, eating and working and going to parties and making friends and worshiping and engaging your communities, being fully in this world, not in some creepy enclave, but don't be of it. Living the kingdom of God way, but not the world's way. It's the in the world, but not of it, right? But here's the newsflash. Oh, we are really terrible at this, okay? Bless our hearts. Now, you might be thinking, well, she's bad at that. I'm awesome at this. Cool. Good for you, right? Perhaps you have mastered the delicate task that is having your feet rooted in the soil of this here world and having your heart and your mind always and forever fixed on Jesus. You are never ever tempted to manipulate others for your own gain. You are never ever tempted to coerce or abuse to get your own way. No, not once are you tempted to play by the, rule, the world's rules for a good cause. Not even kind of tempted to be dishonest to save face or tempted to withdraw and pout when you don't get your way. Bless your heart for being so holy. <laughs> that ain't me yet. You see, I want to be planted firmly here on this earth, engaged and vibrantly connected to a broken and hurting world. And I sure do not want to be of this world, right? Rejecting the lordship of God and doing my own thing. But it's hard when it's the water that we're swimming in, right? It's hard to be in the world and not of it because it is a slippery slope. And we are wearing socks and not the good kind with the grippies. So how? How are we supposed to live into this call to be in the world and not of it? In this world that God loves so desperately and is longing to rescue through us, his people, without being of the world and buying into its way of doing things. Well, once again this week, there is such good news. No formula, no magic checklist to stick on your mirror. The good news is right there in verse 17. Jesus had just said, don't take them out of the world, God. Protect them in the world as they are sent. And hear this. Father, sanctify them 
in your truth. Your word is truth. Oh, sanctify. That's a churchy word if there ever was one. And it's totally foreign to some of us. We don't even know what it means. And the rest of us who do know have a little bit of baggage about it because of how it's been used. You see, sanctify means to make holy, to, to set something apart for a very specific purpose. And there's a reason that we kind of tiptoe around words like holiness and sanctification because for many of us, those words have become to be less about being set apart for God and for God's purposes and for the world and instead being set apart from a list of things we're not supposed to do and the self-righteous attitude that can accompany that. So there's a reason the phrase holier than thou is not a compliment. <laughs> but that understanding of sanctification is a distortion of the beauty of sanctification. It is people trying to nail down and qualify and quantify and categorize the work of God. Because hear this, in verse 17, that verb sanctify, it's an imperative. Do you know what that is? It's a command. Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, do it now. Sanctify them wholly. Get on with it and do the work. Set them apart. Not from the world in a little protective bubble to keep their Sunday clothes clean, but set them apart for a purpose, to be a light in the dark world, to be bread to starving people, to be water to the dry and thirsty who are in dire need of the living water. It is not a, hey, Father, could you send these poor, struggling folks some encouraging words why they sanctify themselves holy? No, it's a command. He is saying, God, do it for them because they can't do it. Sanctify them holy and holy. Fill them to the brim. Fill them so fully with you that all sin, all selfishness, all power games, all self-promotion, all fear, all lust, all anger is crowded out inch by inch by your all-consuming love. Do it, Lord. He's Jesus. He can say that. In verse 18, Jesus says, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart for a holy purpose to live and to die for the sake of the world and to rise again in order that they, us, might be sanctified as well so that we might live and die to ourselves for the sake of the world. Here it is again, just as Jesus, so to us. So this prayer that we have just eavesdropped upon, the final word of Jesus before his passion, resurrection, and ultimate ascension before the gift of the Spirit is both a word of comfort and it is a word of, it is a word of commission. It is a word of comfort because it reminds us that we belong to God. We have everything we need in Jesus. It is a word of comfort because we have seen and we have beheld God in the face of Christ. It is a word of comfort because God, Jesus has asked the Father to protect us. No bubble wrap needed. Jesus has asked the Father to do the holy sanctifying work in us, filling us up so fully with God's love that sin loses all wiggle room in our lives. So we are wholly ready to make ourselves at home in God's love. It is a word of comfort. But it is also a word of commission. Because just as Jesus is sent, so too we are sent. 
just as Jesus is sanctified, set apart for a purpose, so too we are set apart and sanctified for a purpose. Not just sanctified from sin, but for God and the world. That our lives might be poured out for the sake of a lost world that God desperately loves. I was talking to my mom the other day about the whole bubble wrap thing, my desires for Josephine, how I want to protect her from the hurt of the world and from all the sharp edges. Now, I've always, uh, before I had kids, been the kind of pastor, the kind of scolds parents that come to me. They're like, we got all these rough kids coming to youth group. And I'm always the pastor. like, shame on you. They need Jesus, right? And then now that it's my kid, and I'm like fending him off with a stick, right? That's my girl. And then my mom says to me, with her following Jesus' wisdom for many years, says, Stephanie, you need to remember that Josephine is called to the family mission too. To love that broken and hurting world. Protect her wisely, yes. But do not protect her from the mission. From being who Jesus is calling her to be in her little world. Moms are wise. Especially when they follow Jesus like mine does. And so this is my prayer for us. Is that we would trust the protection of the Father. Quit the bubble wrap and walk boldly into the world. Trusting the Father. And that we would open up every nook and cranny of our lives to his sanctifying power, letting his love fill us so fully that all sin is crowded out, that we might walk boldly into the world in it, but not of it, because we are so immersed in the love of God. Let's pray as we conclude today. Father God, this is a bold word, but it is a hard word. We are so grateful for the work you have done in sending your son and making a way and being the source of all love for us. But Lord, we recognize that you have not just saved us from sin. You have saved us for a purpose, to be a part of your mission, to be a part of your good, redemptive work in the world, in our jobs and in our schools and in our families. And so, Lord, we receive this word of comfort, but we also receive this word of commission. And recognize that to be faithful to you is to walk hand in hand with you out into the world, loving as you have loved, living as you have lived. And so now, Lord, as we sing this song of consecration, giving up everything to you, saying, take my life, take every part of me. Lord, would you hear this not just as a song, but as a prayer? And would you do the work, do it, Lord, of sanctifying us holy filling us with your love, crowding out sin, that we might walk boldly into a broken, sinful world in need of your love. Hear our prayer. Amen. Christ Church, may you go from this place empowered by the Spirit to just as Jesus, so to you. As Jesus was sent, so to you are sent. Go and embody God's radical love for the world, being fully in it, but not of it. Go in action and go in peace. Amen. You are dismissed.